And as I was, as I was thinking about what to preach from, I felt a, a pang of jealousy for what Pastor Philip goes through because when he chooses a book of the Bible, we go verse by verse by verse. He doesn't have to worry about what am I going to preach on next because it's the next verse. So he's got his plan ready for the next. I'm not going to tell him what it is. Big, we'll, have a, we'll have a big reveal later, uh, either at the end of the service today or um, are we going at the end? Oh, amen. Just preparation for the end of the service. Um, so uh, I, I felt this pang of jealousy uh, having to go through and try and pick something specific for the seniors. Um, and so what I, what I came to was Psalm 141. So if you will please open your Bibles to Psalm 141, we will read... This Psalm of David. Psalm 141. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon my head. Do not let me refuse it, for, I, for, my, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock, and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are toward you, O God, the Lord, and you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Let's pray. God, we come before you today in awe and wonder of your majesty and glory. God, I pray as we open your word, Lord God, that you would speak to your people through your spirit. Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly, open our ears to hear you, God, and open our hearts to understand and to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I have a confession to make. As I was looking at this sermon, looking at this psalm, trying to figure out what I was going to say to everyone, uh, I, I read through this psalm and I thought I understood what was going on. And I looked at my commentaries and they didn't know what was going on. So I had to go back and look at it again. What did, what did I miss? And, and every, comment, every other commentary I read said something just a little bit different about what the translation was supposed to be. And so I decided to do what any good preacher would do and just uh, cut out the hard stuff and not worry about it. <laughs> that, would, that, would be, uh, that would be bad. So we're going we're gonna to jump into these, these difficulties head on. Uh, and so I decided to approach the psalm uh, the way that we should approach any of, any biblical literature, uh, and that is to look at what type it is. We're looking at poetry. And as I was thinking about what kind of poem this psalm is, I thought of an Oreo. 
okay? An Oreo. Where we've got, we've, got some, we've got some of the stuff that's similar on the top and the bottom. Okay? And in the middle, stuff also similar. And then, actually, this is the best Oreo ball because there's a third layer hidden in there. So we've got three layers that we're going to look at, three different ideas that I wanted to bring out to the congregation and to our seniors uh, to, to see what David has to say uh, in this psalm. So when I, when I was looking at Psalm 141, the first, the outer layers that I was looking at is the first type of prayer that David prayed. So this first type of prayer that David prayed is a prayer towards God. So if you'll look with me, the top layer, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, call upon, uh, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. That's the top half of the Oreo. The bottom half of the Oreo is verses 8, 9, and 10. It's got the same sort of content, the same idea. My eyes are toward you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. So these are prayers that David prays to God specifically. And we see here that David is acutely aware of his position when, when he is facing God. His position as he stands before God is one of complete and utter hopelessness, helplessness. He knew from the beginning of this psalm, he knew that God would hear him. Because our God is one who hears our prayers. He hears the cries of his children. He knows the desires of our hearts and he listens to us. Christ and the Holy Spirit are the intercessors that we that, that pray when we don't know what to say. David also knew that he was incapable of success without God's help. He says, he says, my eyes are towards you. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me. There are many, as we look at these bookends and these prayers, this is the first thing that we need to focus on is that as we pray, as we stand before God, as we look to him as our, as the author and the perfecter of our faith, our prayers need to focus on God. Our prayers need to focus on God and our position before God. We see this over and over again throughout Scripture. Without God, our, our deeds are worthless. Now, it doesn't matter what the specific prayer that David prays is. We're going to see that in just a moment as we look at the next layer of my awesome Oreo. The point is that God is in control from beginning to end. David is eager to approach God with his troubles. He's evil, e he is eager to approach God with these, these things that are weighing on his heart. And he also knows that prayer is a type of worship to God. We are acknowledging that God is in control and we are not. We, when we pray to God, we acknowledge that he is the one who is sovereign and we are not. So as we pray to God, he, he mentions specifically the incense. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The lifting of my hands as the evening offering. Now incense, when we, when we think about incense, either our mind goes to sort of 
Eastern Orthodox style churches or if you've ever been in a, in a uh, country that doesn't participate in Christianity on a regular basis, incense is used very often. Most of the time, if you think about incense, uh, it's a, a, an effort to mask a smell, right? When I was an, uh, an RA in college, I was doing my rounds one day and I walked into the dorm room and there was a certain scent that I smelled. There was incense and there was also another substance that should not have been being used in the dorm room nor legally in many places. And so I was able to use the incense and the other smells to track down where this person was and, and uh, encourage them to stop as kindly as I could. But incense in the, in, ter- in the terms of the worship of God in the Old Testament, if you look at what the incense was used for, if you've done any study about how God set up worship in the tabernacle and in the temple, incense was one of the, ver- one of the things that he was very particular about. He was very particular about incense. And we see that if, if the priests were not careful about how they, they offered the incense or how they concocted the incense and put it together, then there were repercussions for that. People lost their lives because the incense was, was offered incorrectly. But this incense that David is praying about, this incense, he is praying that it would be a, a good incense. It would be a good offering. And his, he asked that his prayers would be like incense. It was the incense in the... I keep saying that word and it's starting to lose its meaning in my mouth. Uh, sorry. <laughs> the incense was lit by coals from the altar. And it had a very specific role to play. It was a, it was a type of the prayers of God's people going up to God. It was a picture of Christ's perfect, uh, his, his perfect intercessions on our behalf. This incense was a, a picture of what our prayers were to be like to God. And so David prays, let my prayers come up to you like incense. His understanding of who he was compared to who God is was completed in verses 8, 9, and 10, as I mentioned. David, apart from God, could do nothing on his own. And we see that in the rest of the psalm as well. He is relying completely on the person of God to be the, to be the fulfillment of what Christ is, is in us. He prayed to God over and over. Give ear to my voice. Set a guard, O Lord. Help me to focus. Be the person that I focus on. And so as we, as we wrap up the, the inner and outer layers of this psalm oreo that I have created in my mind, hopefully you can see it as well. The beginning verses, the invoices, end verses point us toward proper worship of God, where God is first, God is last. And so as we go into, as, as you go into the world, as we go outside of these walls, we need to focus our attention on the Lord, on what he has done, what he continues to do through us.
The second layer of the Oreo, second type of prayer, is a, a prayer against temptation. David was very aware of temptation in his own life. We look at, at the stories that were written about him, the, the, the parts of Scripture that show his, his impressive victories in the Lord. He was called a man after God's own heart and at the same time guilty of such atrocities as murder and adultery. God took David as a whole, and, and we could see in all of this that, that David understood that he was liable to sin. He was, he, was a, he was at any moment ready to step over the line and become sinful. So David prayed against the temptation. In verses 3 and 4, he said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart of any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat other delicacies. The other part, verses 6 and 7, show us what happens to those who fall into these temptations. They give us an example of what to look for, what, what is going to happen in the future to, to the people who do not set a guard over their mouths. So their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock and they hear my words for they are pleasant. And when one plow, as when one plows and breaks open the earth, their bones have been scattered at their mouth of Sheol. I feel like we're all at this, this strange time of transition. For seniors, you're getting ready to go to college. For the rest of us, we're transitioning back into a, a normal life, right? We're, the kids are getting ready to go back to school. Adults have been back at work, hopefully for a while. But we need to understand more than ever, as we go out, as we, as we enter into communication with others, as we enter into interaction with other people, that our witness as believers to unbelievers, to the working of the Holy Spirit, is the, the means that God has ordained to bring them the gospel and for people, people's lives to be changed. Our witness, the things that come out of our mouths, are important. The words that we speak carry meaning. The words that we speak are, are one of the clearest indicators as to what is in control of our lives. We're called to preach the good news to those who have never heard. But unfortunately, for most of us, myself included heartily, when we compare what comes out of our mouths to what comes out of the mouths of the world, there's not that much difference. The tongue, James says, is a fire that no one can tame. We're, yet we're called with the same tongue to sing praises and spiritual songs and exhort our brothers and sisters, but we're unable to keep watch over our tongue. David understands this more than most as, as he pens this psalm. He's begging that, that he not be in control of his mouth. He is asking God to take over control of what comes out of his mouth. God set a guard over our lips. Set a guard over my mouth and keep watch at the door of my lips. 
It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can rein in the destructive nature of our tongues. But what comes out of our mouth is only part of the problem, right? What comes out of our mouth is only a symptom of the greatest issue that we have, and that is that our hearts are far from God. Matthew 15, 18 through 20, Jesus is saying, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And these are what defile a person. David prays because he understands that his heart is wicked and corrupt. It is corrupt to the core. And he had seen enough of the negative effects of sin in his own life to understand as he cried out to God, there was no reason for God to answer him. There was no reason within David himself for God to even notice that David was there. But because of David's relationship with God, because of the redeeming work of God in David's heart, David knew that this heart that was against God could be changed, a dead heart made alive, the stone heart made to flesh. And so he prayed for that. He said, I, I can't keep control of this myself. And as we look at our tongues left unchecked, as we look at our hearts left un, uncontrolled, Our hearts will deceive us at every turn. Our hearts will lead us astray because our hearts, our hearts are sinful. We have this, this already but not yet duality within us. We have victory over sin, but we feel the effects of it daily. We feel our hearts being turned towards temptation. We we feel our, our tongues being led to speak things that are not edifying to other people. We are being, if, if, if you are professing, if you profess faith in Christ, if Christ has come into your heart, the Holy Spirit is working inside you, then we're being made new every day. We are being made new every morning. We must pray this prayer continually. God set a guard over my mouth. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice the deeds of wickedness. When you go out into the world for the first time, I remember this fairly vividly. Walking onto my college campus, you know, 5,000 years ago. Walking onto my college campus, I had all my stuff. My parents put me in my dorm and then took my car away. And I was left in my dorm with my stuff. All right, what to do next? Right off the bat, my roommate said, hey, let's go to a party. I'm like, dude, we've got class tomorrow. It's like, class. This is college, man. You don't go to class. That's bad. You should go to class. A negative example. So immediately, immediately, this temptation was there. I said, oh, man, I don't drink. Psh. What are you, one of those religious nuts? 
obviously I'm going to have a rough semester. The temptation is there. And it didn't stop. It never stops. We are always being drawn away from having our lives focused on who God is and what he has done. We are, we are always being pulled away. You're going to face temptations that the rest of the world doesn't even know about because they're in the midst of, they're, they're in the midst of living sinfully. I was reading a, a, a text the other day. I read text, a, a, an article the other day about how um, this device right here, where's my phone? Oh, no. If you're, okay, that's, now that might bother me the rest of the time because everyone that I know is addicted to their phones and having it in one spot. Oh, wait, I'm just have to do with it. The cell phone, one of the biggest temptations that there is because it was, it was designed, it was designed to create this sense of happiness in your brain. When that ding goes off, ooh, dopamine, serotonin. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's like your, your brain is having a, a field day. And so when you, when you have that temptation, when you look at, at the Internet, when you look at, at just the world in general around you, you're going to be faced with temptations that you didn't even know to exist. And here's the problem. We're not in a fair fight. We're not in a fair fight because our bodies are fighting against us as we're trying to pursue Christ. Our very flesh is fighting against what we know to be true from Scripture. We're fighting an enemy that we can't see with weapons that we can't defend against. And the majority of the people in the world are under the enemy's control. And they're going to do anything that they can to entice us to sin and to be just like them. Can you see now why David prayed like he did? It's only through God's help that we can counter the temptations that we face on a moment-by-moment basis. Because we know that on our own, we can't fight. We can't fight. We're not equipped. We don't possess the equipment in and of our own selves. But the good news is the equipment to fight has been provided through Christ's work on the cross, through his death and his resurrection. We don't have to fight on our own because God has already fought for us. We don't have to seek. We, we, we labor towards Christ. And we, we labor to live in the way that God has called us to live with the, with the equipment that he has equipped us to fight with. I've, I've heard so many sermons on, on the armor of God. So many sermons. And I've actually encountered folks who thought that, okay, well, I'm going into a tough situation, so I need to grab my Bible and I need to, I need to pray on this helmet of salvation and pray on the breastplate of righteousness and, and pray on my sword of truth. I need to pray those things. That is not how God envisioned us to use the armor of God because God's armor as it is, are God's attributes that allow us to live in such a way that these temptations won't affect us as much. The spiritual warfare that's happening around us won't affect us because if we are living righteously, if you are seeking after God and living righteously, then temptation won't distract you. We can't do 
We can't do it on our own. David understood that, so he prayed, God, do not incline my heart to evil. And through Christ, we have the ability to live righteously, truthfully, faithfully, in complete trust and salvation that Christ has provided as we live out our calling where uh, where we are to share the gospel with everyone we meet. This righteous living is what draws people to us. This righteousness is what allows us to speak the truth of the gospel. If we don't live any differently than the world around us, then why are they going to ask us what's different? Because there's nothing different. It is God's righteousness in us. It is us living through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us different and able to speak the gospel into people's lives. So in this section that I took, the the bottom half, we see that, that the people who practice evil, the people who are enticing us without the, the change of God, without God coming into their lives and making a direct change are bound for destruction. The people around us who are tempting us, the people around us who are trying to get us to move away from Christ without Christ are lost. There's no hope in the wares that they're selling, they heap up their idols and their idols cannot save them. The only hope that men have is the grace and mercy found in the good news of the gospel. And without Christ, our fate would be the same as those described in verses 6 and 7. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock. They hear my words for they are pleasant. And as when, as when one plows and breaks open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. Without Christ, we are scattered at the mouth of Sheol. Left. Unaccounted for. Unknown. Dead in our sins. This moves us to the third type of prayer that I wanted to bring out. So this is, this is my ultimate Oreo. You've got chocolate, top and bottom. You've got vanilla. And they might have done it. If they haven't done this yet, we all know that they're listening somewhere. So having a little bit of chocolate in between that vanilla, oh, man. That's where we're at right now. The super secret, awesome chocolate nugget. Verse 5. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against the wicked's deeds. This is hard for us to hear. This is hard for us to hear because we have been corrected before. I, I was a high school math teacher for seven years. I did a lot of correcting. Okay? And actually, in math, it was easy. Nope, that one's not right. Yep, that one's right. I just went backwards. Sorry. This is, this is the city of man. That one's not right. This one's right. And, but in my reproof, in my correction as a teacher... 
You guys have had teachers before who did correction in a way that benefited you. And you had teachers who corrected in a way that did not benefit you so much. Amen? What David is talking about here is the blessing that we can receive, the blessing that he received if you're corrected by a righteous man or woman. Again, it comes back to righteousness. When we're, when we're speaking, we're looking for God's righteousness to control our speech. When we are, when we're praying to God, we understand that it is His righteousness that we are seeking, His glory, His power, His majesty that sets Him above us and us at His feet. But when we're praying for the righteous to smite me in kindness, to reprove me, Having a life, having a friendship that is open to that kind of reproof and that kind of correction is a blessing. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about getting corrected by any, any uh, joker walking down the street. Okay? Because there's plenty of that going around and we don't need any more of it. But what I'm talking about is living your life in community with somebody else so that when they speak to you, when they see something that is wrong, something that needs to be corrected, they are living their life in such a way that when they say, hey, I've seen this in you and it hurts me to tell you this, but we need to, we need to work on this. What I see in you is not godly. What I see, this action, it needs to be corrected. And as a believer in Christ, we need to understand that that needs to be a position that we all find ourselves in. We need to be open to correction, open to reproof, because to be honest with you, I hate being corrected. I hate it. I love being right. I got an amen from right over there. How does correction normally happen? I'll, I'll tell you how, how it normally happens in my house. Not pleasantly. Hey, you forgot to take out the trash. Well, you didn't do the dishes. Right? It's an attack. Attack one way, I'm going to counterattack. You did this. Well, you didn't do this. And it turns into a, an argument almost immediately. Why? Because I'm not prepared to receive correction. It's a problem with my heart. My heart is proud. My heart is the one that is that thinks that it's better than correction. And that is not that is not how we need to be, because we need to understand that the, the ultimate correction that we received was that we were sinners. That we were dead in our sins and without Christ, we would be dead forever, eternally in our sins. The ultimate correction, the ultimate reproof. The way that you're going is wrong. And God has made a way for you to be going the right way. Notice here that this is not on the act of the, the focus here is not on the act of correction. David doesn't say, hey, let everybody correct me. But again, what is focused, what he focuses on is the is the attitude 
the spiritual attribute of the person doing the correcting. Righteousness is an extremely important qualifier as we're talking about correcting other people. When we're talking about allowing ourselves to be corrected. If we're living and walking in God's righteousness, then correction that we receive, no matter who it comes from, will result in life and more godliness. But if if we are living on, under self-righteousness, if we are saying that I am I am the one who's in control, I am the one who is doing, I am better than this, I am smarter than that, I don't need correction, I am good enough on my own, the definition of self-righteousness, then our corrections that we give out and corrections that we receive will be fed by the fruit of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit. It will lead to disruption. Notice also David's attitude again. David was the king of Israel. King. And yet he did not refuse to be corrected by someone who was righteous. We need to have the same attitude of humility and grace when we're on the receiving end of correction. Because our first our first reaction is always fight back. Punch, counterpunch. I know where you're weakest. I'm going to go for that. But if we have, if we understand the, the person that is coming to us and trying to correct us is coming out of righteousness, righteousness that comes from God, then we need to accept those with humility and grace. It takes an act of God going back to the to speaking uh, God being setting a guard over our mouth. It takes an act of God for us to accept that correction. It takes an act of God for us to accept it lovingly and thankfully. Notice also that it's not just about us reacting back, but David goes even further. He says, do not let my head refuse it. For my prayer is against the wicked's deeds. He knows that, that that this battle is going to keep going on. And that battle that we face every single day, moment by moment, to be righteous in God's eyes, to be living through God's righteousness, is a, is a battle that takes an act of God to complete. It takes an act of God to be that person that is able to talk to other people, reprove other people, and be reproved as well. And so we are dependent upon God from verse 1 to verse 10, from Genesis 1 to Revelation. We are dependent upon God for every act of goodness that comes out of us. We are dependent upon God to set a guard over our hearts, set a guard over our mouths, to be the one who directs us to where we should go. And I pray as, as a congregation, as a, as a family, that we are able to be the righteous people who can reprove others lovingly and kindly. And that we would also be willing to accept reproof when the time comes. Because in, in the midst of this psalm, 
we know that there were, again, times that David had huge successes and equally huge failures. Don't let self-righteousness taint that. We need to trust in God's righteousness, trust in God's strength to be able to accept and receive and give, accept and receive are the same thing, accept and give reproof. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, Lord God, you are able to hear our prayers, that you are able to respond. And Lord God, that you are in control of of what is going on in the world, that you are in control of what is going on in our hearts and our minds. So Lord God, I pray today as we as we seek your wisdom, as we seek your grace and mercy, Lord God, that you would show us what it means to pray as David prayed. Lord God, that you would set a guard over our lips, that you would not incline our hearts to evil. God, that you would allow us to take reproof willingly and lovingly. And Lord God, that we would not look to those who are unrighteous or the things that they offer us, Lord God, because in the end, theirs is the way to destruction. God, we look to Christ as the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to Christ as our Savior, as our Redeemer. And we look to your your attributes that you have given us access to. I pray that we would equip those fully in our lives. That as as we speak, as we think, as we go about our daily business, Lord God, that you would be you would be made much of and that you would be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.